www.kpfa.org. Please stay tuned. Coming up next here on KPFA, it's Jennifer Stone with Cover to Cover. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today is Tuesday, March the 23rd, 2010. Here comes the resurrection. Easter, folks. Oh, God. (laughs) The world egg. Palm Sunday. Coming right up here. That's the 28th. My son, my eldest son will be 50 on Sunday. I can't handle that. <laughs> His stepniece gave him a supply of marbles. She said she hoped he hadn't lost all the ones he was born with. Oh, actually, actually, I, I haven't decided yet. There must be something I can do to celebrate Paul's 50th Um I'll work on it. I'll work on it. I think what I like to do at Easter is I like to go back to the old religion. Uh, Something, oh, something having to do with um, pre-Christian, pre-Christian Celtic mysteries. You know, I, I, I dig out Barbara Walker's book, The Encyclopedia of Women's Myths and Secrets. Uh... I was reading it last night. I was watching Nancy Pelosi trying to be our great mother. Yes, she was being our great mother. Uh, She kept, I don't know what it was, sputtering kind of. I think she's just exhausted. The poor woman must be wrung out, as it were. Uh, It was about midnight her time. And she was saying to the um, assembled, to the Congress, she was saying that she was so grateful that Tip O'Neill had said that the personal was political and she said the the uh, political is personal and that she said it was just wonderful, just wonderful that being a woman was no longer a pre-existing medical condition. <laughs> and then and I thought, oh God, Nancy, think a minute, think what you're saying. The president has just thrown to the wolves the abortion issue, you know. Uh, he promised no federal funds to be spent uh, on abortion, and we can straighten that out later, I hope. But anyway, after all, being a female does turn out to be a pre-existing condition. Yes, actually, I thought that mortality was a pre-existing condition. <laughs> yes. 
Oh, Lord, last night I was thinking of all the, uh, what is it, all the historical precedents. Uh, study history. Learn your place in time. Uh, civilization is not a frill, not a frill. I was thinking of all those medieval charity hospitals and Victorian poor houses and debtors' prisons and all the ways that human beings had tried to, can we say, take care of one another, uh, the business of being human, the business of having a non-profit hospital or clinic or public public um, caregiving, uh, yes, the uh, the rulers, the rich, the kings and queens, and the priests, sometimes they would go and wash the feet of the poor, you remember that. I remember in a women's group years ago, we, we kept saying that we should use the term economic democracy. Don't say socialism, we said, because they'll just use that again, you right. Just uh, talk the way Barack Obama does. Just say common sense. I prefer the um, I prefer the word justice. I think most people still like that word. It's hard to corrupt justice. They've corrupted liberal. Can't use that word anymore. Uh, I think the concept of commons, the common good, the common welfare, uh, the general welfare. You remember once upon a time we had lands in common and goods in common. There's a thought. Uh, the, the commie says property is theft. Interesting. Uh, I always thought that I was entitled to own a few books and maybe a couple of memory gems, but the rest is common property. Yes, I'm one of those renters, literally and figuratively. Uh, I did buy a house once, twice actually. It was during my marriage half a century ago. That was when I fell into the bourgeois trap, the plot. But by 1967, I was living uh, as an anarchist again, divorced and Having a subsistence existence, I love the word anarchy, but it's another word like socialism. They use it to label us. They use it in reductive, pejorative ways. I consider myself a very disciplined anarchist, a Zen anarchist. Most people uh, use the word to mean disorder, chaos, um, something negative. They don't think of it as a positive uh, yes word. I think um, Emma Goldman would be my model. Uh, Emma Goldman and, believe it or not, Margaret Mead. She had a wonderful way of teaching. She taught uh, emotional intelligence. Uh, I see anarchy as a belief, a passion for personal independence. You're responsible for your own choices. It's up to you, folks. Uh, you have to find your God within. Of course, privacy is paramount. It's what this healthcare thing is about. I think people are afraid. They don't know what privacy means. What was it? The students, little eighth graders, we used to, we used to say, your rights end where my nose begins. 
that's what justice means. Yes, everything we need to know we learned in kindergarten. No first strike, no hitting. Uh, of course, the problem is, if you're self-reliant and independent and a rugged individualist, you must also balance that with cooperation, community, all the good stuff, all the helping things. I'm one of those people, I want a room of my own, absolutely, but I would like it to be in a community, in a community of friends. The Quakers had a kind of ideal commune of sorts, the commune in the sky, alone among so many. Anyway, <laughs> today we've got this cockeyed socioeconomic system and most people seem to think that success is getting an ever bigger piece of the pie. You measure your success uh, by counting, and you, you have to have more than the other guys, you know. Economic democracy means that there's pie for everyone, you know. Uh, in our time now, in the 21st century, the scientists have figured out that global subsistence is possible. There is enough to go around. Now, human beings weren't sure about that. Uh, recently, we finally got it straight. The earth can feed us all, but only if we act wisely. Now that we know that, now that we have proved that, uh, something, what is it, something stopped. Uh, our old brain, that reptilian brain stem, has uh, reared up. And it's kicked in, and for some reason, masses of people lack the political will to act on what we know. These primal fears come surging out. Uh, you know how that is? It goes so deep. The cerebral cortex is just atrophying on these guys. I, I don't know, the teabaggers. I, I thought they were funny at first, but I don't think so. I think they really are uh, dangerous. We are in an evolutionary trap. Uh, this health care debate is going to go on and on. The right wing is going to court. They want to prove that human life is just a commodity. You know, business is business, boys. I mean, if there's no profit, there's no point. A pound of flesh has market value. I remember so many years ago, uh, 50s, I guess, uh, the year I got out of college, I uh, worked for my father for a while. He had a uh, an office out in Richmond. And uh, his system, his system was to overcharge the, the patients who could afford it and uh, to write off, oh, he said at least 10%. He said, you write off at least... 10% for Jesus. Um, <laughs> said otherwise, the Reds will get us. It was his form of altruism. Uh, it made perfect sense, you know. Um, you just kind of have a, what do you call that? Um, uh, socialism uh, 
in a, a kind of a, a domestic socialism, yes. I think if families could practice uh, socialism, we would get it all straight. I remember my mother's best friends used to say that I wouldn't like communism because it would mean that I would have to share everything with my sister. And I said that would be fine because she had more stuff than I, <laughs> I had. Anyway, anyway, poor Nancy Pelosi. I, I'm going to write her a, a letter and tell her that I think she's been this year's, what do you call that, goddess, mother figure. Uh, <sighs> Corey Aquino used to say there's only one way to treat people. On the other hand, uh, governments, governments, oh, lordy, lordy. Uh, I left the house today thinking that it's Easter and that I can't stand any more politics. And I want to go back, I want to go all the way back to the pre-Christian religions. And I want to talk about uh, the old, the old religion. I found the mists of Avalon. It's a wonderful, magical saga all about the women behind King Arthur's throne. Now, this book was published, I think, uh, this one's 82. Marion Zimmer Bradley. We all loved Marion Zimmer Bradley. She did this great job of reimagining the Arthurian legends and she decided that, of course, uh, <laughs> it was it was King Arthur's half sister Morgane, the high priestess, in the enchanted land of Avalon, where the women ruled. They created life. They kept the knowledge, the ancient mysteries. For Morgane, there is but one quest: to wrest Britain away from Christianity. Christianity was a new religion in Arthur's day, and it was a religion that viewed women as carriers of original sin. And Morgan, once known as Morgan Le Fay, she wanted to return religion to the worship of the mother goddess. Anyway, we've got Lancelot and Queen Guinevere and all of these beautiful folks, uh, I was just thinking how much fun it would be. In the old days, we used to have time to read these books. We could read them at 11 o'clock at night and just, you know, read the whole thing for days and days. I think I'll just read you a little bit of the prologue to give you the flavor of this book, The Mists of Avalon. And then if you're a school teacher uh, and you think that your students might enjoy dipping into the old religion, you can get a copy of the Miss of Avalon. My copy, oh, let's see, this one is used, $7 at half-price books. Not bad at all. Um, terrific reviews. Uh, the Miss of Avalon sheds new light on old characters, Merlin, Lancelot, Guinevere, and so on and so forth. Okay, um, I think, yes, the prologue gives you the flavor, the gist. I love the the film. It was a television series with Angela, Angelica Houston. Angelica Houston played uh, Morgane. And, of course, by the end of the story, she and Merlin 
had begun to despair. They were afraid that they had failed. But of course, at the very end, they both come to understand, well, he dies, of course, but she comes to understand that there is no failure. Uh, that, of course, the goddess, the eternal feminine that Goethe writes about, has simply morphed or melted into, um, I think in the case, in that particular show, they use the Lady of Nazareth, that would be the uh, Christian Virgin Mother. Uh, they tucked her in in the last scenes. A friend of mine once came back from Italy and she said um, she'd gone to Italy and she was stunned to find that there was no Christianity there. There was just the old religion, the religion of the goddess, and all of these so-called Madonnas were simply ancient um, mother goddesses. Uh, anyway, let me read you a little bit of the prologue. It's uh, a monologue, really, Morgane speaking. And she says, In my time I have been called many things. Sister, lover, priestess, wise woman, queen. Now in truth I have come to be wise woman. And a time may come when these things may need to be known. But in sober truth, I think it is the Christians who will tell the last tale. Forever the world of fairy drifts further from the world in which the Christ holds sway. I have no quarrel with the Christ, only with his priests. They who call the great goddess a demon and deny that she ever held power in this world. At best they say that her power was of Satan or else they clothe her in the blue robe of the Lady of Nazareth, who indeed had power in her way, too. They say, they say that she was ever virgin. But what can a virgin know of the sorrows and travail of mankind? And now when the world has changed, and Arthur, my brother, my lover, king who was and king who shall be, lies dead, the common folk say he is sleeping. Lies dead in the holy isle of Avalon, the tale should be told as it was before the priests of the white Christ came to cover it all with their saints and legends. For, as I say, the world itself has changed. There was a time when a traveler, if he had the will and knew only a few of the secrets, could send his barge out into the summer sea and arrive not at Glastonbury of the monks, but at the holy isle of Avalon. For at that time, the gates between the worlds drifted within the mists and were open one to another as the traveler thought and willed.
For this is the great secret, which was known to all educated men in our day, that by what men think, we create the world around us, daily new. I will repeat that. This is the great secret which was known to all educated men in our day that by what men think we create the world around us daily new. And now the priests, thinking that this infringes upon the power of their God who created the world once and for all and to be unchanging, have closed those doors which were never doors, except in the minds of men, and the pathway leads only to the priest's aisle, which they have safeguarded with the sound of their church bells, driving away all thoughts of another world lying in the darkness. Indeed, they say that world, if it indeed exists, is the property of Satan and the doorway to hell, if not hell itself. I do not know what their God may or may not have created, in spite of the tales that are told. I never knew much about their priests. I never wore the black of one of their slave nuns. If those at Arthur's court at Camelot chose to think me so when I came there, I did not undeceive them, since I, I always wore the dark robes of the great mother in her guise as wise woman. Indeed, toward the end of Arthur's reign, it would have been dangerous to do so. I bowed my head to expediency as my great mistress would never have done. <laughs> Viviane, Lady of the Lake, once Arthur's greatest friend, save for myself, and then his darkest enemy, again, save for myself. But that strife is over. I could greet Arthur at last when he lay dying, not as my enemy, or the enemy of my goddess, but only as my brother, and as a dying man in need of the mother's aid, where all men come at last. Even the priests know this, with their ever-Virgin Mary in her blue robe, for she too becomes the world mother in the hour of death. And so Arthur lay at last with his head in my lap, seeing in me neither sister, nor lover, nor foe, but only wise woman, priestess, lady of the lake, and so rested upon the breast of the great mother from whom he came to birth, and to whom... At last, as all men, he must go. And perhaps, 
as I guided the barge which bore him away, not this time to the Isle of the Priests, but to the true holy Isle in the dark world behind our own, that island of Avalon, where now few but I could go. He repented the enmity that had come between us. As I tell this tale, I will speak at times of things which befell when I was too young to understand them, or of things which befell when I was not by. And my hearer will draw away, perhaps, saying this is her magic. But I have always held the gift of the sight, and of looking within the minds of men and women, and in all this time I have been close to all of them. And so at times all that they thought was known to me in one way or another. And so I will tell this tale, for one day the priests too will tell it as it was known to them. Perhaps between these two some glimmering of the truth may be seen. For this is the thing the priests do not know with their one God and their one truth. That there is no such thing as a true tale. Truth has many faces and the truth is like to the old road to Avalon. It depends on your own will, on your own thoughts, whether the road will take you, and whether at the end you arrive in the holy isle of eternity, or among the priests with their bells and their death and their Satan and hell and damnation. But... Perhaps I am unjust even to them. Even the Lady of the Lake, who hated a priest's robe as she would have hated a poisonous viper, and with good cause too, chide me once for speaking evil of their God. For all the gods are one God, she said to me then, as she had said many times before, and as I have said to my own novices many times and as every priestess who comes after me will say again, and all the goddesses are one goddess, and there is only one initiator, and to every man his own truth, and the God within. And so, perhaps, the truth winds somewhere between the road to Glastonbury Isle of the Priests, and the road to Avalon, lost forever in the mists of the summer sea. But this is my truth. I, who am Morgane, tell you these things. Morgane, who was in later days called Morgan Le Fay. Now I'm looking at the 
the last chapter called Mistress of Magic. I wish I had time to read you the whole thing. This has been Jennifer Stone. Maybe I'll have time next week when it really is Easter and the Resurrection. Maybe I can read some more of The Mists of Avalon by Marion Zimmer Bradley. This has been Jennifer Stone. Marion Zimmer Bradley's book can be found in most used bookstores, published 1982. And you can find the video in the stores. Angelica Houston, that Irish actress, yes, she plays the, the Celtic, the Celtic hero, Morgan Le Fay. Till next time, go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. A few words from a friend of KPFA's, Tariq Ali. At a time when the fog of war and the ensuing propaganda covers the truth and masks reality, dissident voices which provide a different analysis and offer a completely different picture are vital. KPFA and Pacifica Radio, for me, are the things I listen to when I come to this country. So keep going, folks. Become a friend of KPFA. Visit us online at kpfa.org. Please stay tuned. Coming up next at 3.30, it's Free Speech Radio News right here on KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, KFCF.